0: Since uh, the first of the new year, we've posted five podcast episodes on BWXT's proposal to start manufacturing nuclear fuel pellets at their Monaghan Road plant in Peterborough. For those listeners not from Peterborough, BWXT Nuclear is a manufacturer who took over part of the Legacy GE plant near downtown Peterborough in 2016. Prior to this takeover, GE had been involved in Canada's nuclear industry at their Peterborough plant since... 1955. Well, there are three episodes with my guests today, plus a conversation with BWXT executives and a conversation with a former GE nuclear worker. All these episodes are posted at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. Joining me today for a conversation about the pelleting issue is Peter Harris, Corrine Mintz, and James Scott. Now, getting ready for this morning, it occurred to me that this campaign has been a huge amount of work for a lot of people, all of whom had busy lives already before this campaign became so necessary. Uh, I browsed the list of interveners and their presentations on the site provided by the uh, CNSC, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. There has been a massive amount of work done by so many people on this process. What has the experience of living through this campaign been like for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, uh, it's been a long haul, uh, and I, I'm relatively new uh, to this. I, I came on board in October, um, so I haven't been going as long as cringe or Jane, and uh, certainly I find uh, that I'm getting a little bit uh, burned out by now. Uh, so, um, I'll be glad when it's all over.
0: Right. And would it be possible to estimate the number of hours collectively that have gone into this? When I look at the presentations, I mean, there's a huge number, right? Wh- what is the total number, the intervener presentations? 249. That's Toronto and Peterborough. Toronto and Peterborough. And Peterborough has how many? About 150 of those? 170. 170 of those, Peterborough. Wow. But All right. just
2: getting people to write those interventions took hundreds and hundreds of hours of work to educate people that there was an issue and then to uh, get people the information they needed to understand the issue well enough to intervene. So right. yeah, it's not just the writing of the intervention, it's a lot more before that.
3: Yeah, and also the information night and the um, intervention writing workshop as well. Those also (laughs) took a lot of work.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can appreciate that. Uh, Now, when we last spoke, it was on December 30th, What has happened in the past eight weeks? I remember when we last spoke, politicians at all levels were avoiding this issue like the plague, preferring to leave the decision on BWXT's uh, license application to the federal regulator, the the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, or CNSC. Has anything changed?
1: Um, Yeah, I I think quite a bit has changed, actually, especially um, uh, three weeks ago when uh, a group of uh, Trent academics published um, a letter to the editor in the Examiner, indicating that uh, soil levels in uh, beryllium are of beryllium at um, around the uh, Prince of Wales Playground, and in fact, all the uh, level, uh, samples, almost all the beryllium samples taken in in Peterborough, had showed uh, an alarming increase in levels of beryllium. And that uh, the the soil levels really aren't that significant by themselves. It's the fact that the airborne uh, beryllium caused those increases that is the real concern. And uh, there would be no other source other than airborne beryllium to cause those levels to go up. So uh, there are, uh, they sounded the alarm, and since then there's been quite a bit of activity uh, around the beryllium, especially.
0: That, this is on the level of uh, our. Political representatives, uh, municipal, provincial, federal?
1: Yeah, well, uh, particularly from the me- uh, the the uh, medical officer of health uh, who has adopted a stance that uh, uh, this needs to be tidied up before any change in licensing ha- happens at, at this plant. We've or
2: or even, uh, even a renewal of the license, um, not just a change of the licensing, which is Karn's biggest concern is the addition of pelleting, but... Um, the medical officer of health is actually recommending that um, they not even renew the license, that the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission not renew BWXT's license until we understand why the beryllium soil levels are increasing.
0: Okay. Now, what has been the response uh, from the federal government? And particularly, what about uh, our local MP? There is laughter in the room. Well,
2: <laughs> I am just at a very interesting moment in this uh, campaign. We were finally, after asking, uh, contacting Marian Monsef's office since last July and asking to meet with her, we finally some person in our group who is very perseverant is that the word? Persevering, persevering, uh, got us a meeting with Maria Monsef, and and it actually happened last week. Oh! And at that meeting, we were promised a letter uh, talking about our concerns, the public's concerns about BWXT's location and their possible um, change of of. Um, function here in uh, Peterborough, change of operations, sorry. And so I was promised that letter uh, yesterday, which was an important deadline for the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. That was the last day that people could add supplemental information to their interventions. And I had offered to take that letter since we had hoped that we would have had a letter long ago, and that she would have would have done what other um, what the MP in Toronto had done, which is put in her own intervention on behalf of the citizens of yeah. Toronto. And but she did not do that. So our, the next step was to ask her that I could add it to my intervention, but it needed to be given to me by the 18th.
0: And did it come? Did it arrive?
2: Well, I did remind their office on on the. Um, On the 15th, on the Friday, beforehand of the long weekend, and I was promised that it would be in my email by Monday, which was has come and gone, and um, by Monday night there was nothing there, and then I called back yesterday morning, which was Tuesday the 18th, and um, no, there was nothing. I was assured by her office, as I have been assured many, many times of many, many things that have not happened that she, that that letter would be there for me to submit on time to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, and it is not. So, you know, it does make me wonder what is the next step.
3: It's really important to note, too, that the um, MP in Toronto actually has stood up for Peterborough residents more than Miriam Monsef because the MP in Toronto said that she doesn't believe that uh, the facility should come to Peterborough either. She said it doesn't belong in a residential neighbourhood, point blank.
2: And, we, and that is that is the simplest thing that we have been trying to get uh, City Hall, the Mayor, and uh, Maria Monsef to to tell the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission on our behalf, is that this type of facility does not belong in a residential neighbourhood, not in Toronto and not in Peterborough. And it has been great struggle just to get simple comments from our politicians here in town.
0: So what is going on? I mean, I... Uh... Maryam Monseft has rode a wave of popularity, of course. Uh, her first, uh, well, back when she ran for mayor, she almost beat Daryl Bennett. Then she did get in as our federal MP uh, 2015 and then was reelected last fall. What's going on? Why are we... It, it would appear... That uh, there's a bit of a uh, bait and switch runaround game going on. That yes, we'll do it. No, we won't. And then nothing happens. And now the deadline is missed. So, and now uh, that's not. We are not the only. You know, Karen is not the only issue on her her desk. Obviously, but
2: I would appreciate honesty from my political representatives personally. If she's not able to help us, I would like to hear. I'm sorry, I can't help you. At at least that would it would make me happy, but at least that would be honest. So I have not been treated with honesty and respect by her office, and I cannot say I have much respect for how they're running things. So why it's happening, I couldn't tell you. That's not how I would run my office.
0: Okay. Now, what do we make of the involvement of our medical officer of health, Dr. Rosanna Salvatera? At first, she seemed to be very dismissive of the risks associated with the production of nuclear fuel pellets next to uh, residential neighborhoods. Now she seems to be taking a more uh, active, or indeed activist, role. Why the change? I, th-
1: I think the letter, from or the is the, that accurate? <laughs> the, the letter from the Trent Prof has forced her hand. Uh, okay. She had to act at that point. Uh, she didn't really have any choice. And uh, the alarming thing here is that this alarm uh, wasn't raised by the CNSC. It was raised by members of the public who happened to be looking at the IEMP data in a license renewal year, uh, one 10-year opportunity. So they were looking at that data by chance, uh, a neighbor of that plant is a, a guy who who specializes in in modeling uh, contaminants and, and their behavior in the atmosphere. And he noticed this alarming increase in beryllium levels uh, in soil samples. And he specifically was concerned uh, that that was showing that the atmospheric levels of beryllium were quite high in order, order to provoke an increase like that. So this is a chance thing, and... My concern, personally, is that it took a member of the public to raise the alarm. It wasn't the CNSC. The CNSC is supposed to look at the IEMP data and make recommendations based upon that IEMP data. It ignored that data. It was statistically significant, and it ignored it. So this is a major concern. I haven't heard any of our politicians speak to this. I haven't heard the the Medical Officer of Health speak to this either. Uh, and we haven't heard from the CNSC. Why the silence? I don't understand it. And I don't understand this uh, passivity on the part of our elected politicians to represent us and to represent those parents over at Prince of Wales School, myself included, whose kids may have been exposed to high levels of
0: Now the hearing is just 2 weeks away. What is your impression of the response from the interveners so far? Is this response surprising to you?
2: Like the interventions that have been yeah. Submitted?
0: Yeah.
3: Well, the ones that I've read are amazing. Like we have a lot of people that are professionals on um, safety analysis in the nuclear industry and stuff who are appalled that this is that they're considering allowing this next next to a school. So um I find that there are a lot of people on board that have a lot to bring to the table, and that's really encouraging to me yeah,
2: also just the sheer number of of interventions I think is is quite notable. I did ask uh, Louise at the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission if it was a record she did not give me she did not <laughs> she did not she did not allow me to say it was a record she said they have had large um Public involvement before for the larger facilities like Picker, Pickering and Darlington, but she did say it was uh, well. I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but it, it is a large amount of um, people who have have written in, and and uh, and notably uh, as well people who are willing to stand up in front of the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission and present that it's really. I, I feel like that that shows that we have been already. Like, Regardless of what the outcome is, what the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission decides, I think uh, CARN as a group has been very successful already, just by the number of of interveners. I was just going to say
3: that I also, um, there are a lot of new people in CARN now that have a lot of energy and are working really hard on some really important work that is ongoing. So we have yet to see what some of those um, stones that are being overturned will bring.
0: Sure. Now, what do we know from other hearings in terms of CNSC's reactions and decisions? Uh, In other words, what are the possibilities coming out of the uh, March 4th uh, to 6th hearing uh, in Peterborough? Will the license be granted under certain conditions? What might those conditions be? um, Uh, We know they're a captured regulator.
2: Yes, Uh, we know that. So... You know, we know we're not uh, playing with a level playing field here. Uh, We're not... The public is not being given as strong a voice as likely the companies. Um, But there are lots of possibilities. Uh, The history of the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission is that they do not outright deny licenses. They want to keep the nuclear industry running. So... But there are lots of possibilities within that, um, realization mm-hmm. and, and I am an optimist and I think miracles can happen. So <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it is possible that, that, who knows, maybe their license will be denied. That is unlikely though. Mm-hmm. But what is, what is more likely is that they will get a reduced license, uh, right. period. So they might, could get only two years or three years or five years instead of a ten year license. And as well, there can be stipulations on the license. And the most important one for us is, is, I hope this is correct for everyone, is that pelleting be removed as an option from the Peterborough facility.
3: I, I don't think that they should allow um, BWXT to continue um, even doing the fuel bundling if this beryllium is going into the air. Like, I think that they should just move the factory. I think they personally I think that they should close it because it does not follow modern um, requirements for where you put factories. A class uh, three on the provincial level um, factory has to be set back 300 metres um, from the road, and this factory does not follow those rules. And so apparently um, they are going to have to uh, count the pelleting as a new factory on the provincial level of government and... They will have to follow through with that 300 meter setback.
0: Yes, and I've also heard, uh, speaking to Jim Dufresne, who we all know, who uh, used to work at uh, GE 42 years. and the last 20 uh, odd years, on the nuclear side of business, that in his experience, the what GE workers called the green hill, which is paved over, uh, underneath the green hill, there are underneath that pavement is some nasty stuff. And that, uh, not having a science background, I'm not qualified to say what it is. Of course, this is rumor. But what do we know about that?
3: Well, we do know that um, there there are plumes of um, PCBs that are continuously problematic going into Little Lake and that there are PCBs in quite a lot of spaces around town that have had to be capped with tarmac to prevent them from spilling further into the um, city. And we know that the um, ministry, uh, MOECP it's called now, is watching over um, the General Electric property because it is polluted with um, TCEs, lead, and uh, PCBs. So this is all really toxic stuff, and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. So you have to remember that the effects of all this pollution on people in the neighborhood and in the city, um, that the effects of that is cumulative. And we haven't even spoken about the ongoing pollution that is coming out of the factory um, already. There's a lot of hazardous material that's not radioactive, like xylenes. (coughs) There's a whole long list of them, and you have to remember that that's right near Prince of Wales School, and it does not have the 300-metre setback that provincial guidelines um, require it to do or to have.
0: Right, thank you. On that subject, what do we know about the cancer bubble, for want of a better term, in the neighborhoods directly adjacent to the plant? I have heard in the community that, again, Jim Dufresne said, you, know, you go along Wolf Street and this family, well, the kids both died, this family, the father died, This, etc., etc." Has that been studied at all, as the minister uh Medical Officer of Health commented on it?
1: I, I, I don't believe so. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm asking them to do an intake survey of exposure to beryllium um, because I think there's reasonably good evidence that there weren't proper beryllium controls on their emissions um, right. leading up to the curr- current date. Um, you look at what happened inside the factory and the, the damning evidence of malfeasance on the part of G.E. Tachi and G.E., and uh, the exposure levels um, of workers within the factory, it'd be reasonable to expect that that was transferred to people outside of the factory as well. And we know that uh, beryllium uh, is, uh, is needed in such low quantities to cause sensitivity that people like secretaries have, uh, have uh, chronic beryllium disease, there are uh, security guards, there's kids living around plants, uh, there's uh, uh, families who were exposed to the clothing during washing uh, from workers at these plants. So there's reason to believe that the whole population at large around this plant should be tested for brilliant exposure.
0: Well, Okay. Let's move into the unknown future here. And
2: Can I just make one comment? I, I want to say that uh, really a highlight of this entire experience for me mm. was uh, City Hall, um, it the twenty first of yes. January, and so we had forty seven yes. people come out to speak um, on uh, some motions that Dean Pappas was trying to help um, pass on behalf uh, through the city on behalf of Kern, and um, that was just such to hear people speak, and mm-hmm. everyone was so well spoken, and people talked about very so many different aspects of of how. This uh, issue is that will affect them, or can affect them, or is affecting them, and uh, people were so well spoken, and uh, I just—it was such a—I don't know—I—I I, I left feeling, I don't know, very inspired, just hmm. by, by the incredibleness of uh, oh. all the people who have taken the time and effort to to learn about this subject and 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 the time and energy to come out and speak in front of City Hall. So that was that was a big
1: night for me honestly I I, I would like to shout out to Dean Pappas as well uh, and thank him for being the one politician the only politician who has represented the constituents of this city and recognizes that putting a plant like this close to a school and in the middle of a residential area is not appropriate so he's the one guy who gets it and uh, Dean uh, I owe you a beer thanks very (laughs) much
2: (laughs)
0: <laughs> how many people were there? Uh, was it last night, the eighteenth? Uh,
2: last night we had um, how many people speak? Maybe seven. Seven, Maybe seven, yeah. Seven people got got up and spoke. And and uh, like what
0: issue were they speaking to? Was it well, the vote or yeah? We're or still trying to pass item.
2: those original motions, but they've morphed and changed, and and so they did actually get passed last night. And oh. um the main, the big, well. The three motions, the most important part of the three motions was actually based on the um, public health report, uh, Rosanna's three recommendations to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. So we were asking that the city uh, reiterate those those recommendations. So, you know, we're saying... That they're they're good recommendations and and we we ask the city to get behind them as well, not just so is so, every, so we had the initial vote last week and uh, I thought that was the end, but no, the the final vote was last night and um, those the three motions that Dean put forward, uh, which were based on the the public health reports recommendations, I want to be clear, just the recommendations, um, did pass last night. So, so so
0: that means a letter will go?
2: That means a letter will go from the city to um, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission and to okay. Maria Monsef's office. Uh, it, the, an, yes. And there will also, in, in those recommendations, um, it also says that, that BWXT needs to have proper uh, liaison communications with uh, the public and that the... Testing be done. Um, testing be done around the site um, and and in the greater uh, community. Um, I'm not quoting them exactly, unfortunately, but this is the main sure, idea. Sure, sure, yeah. um, Be done by an independent body, not be done by BWFC or the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, but that this testing, these testing be done uh, regularly enough with enough samples and done by an independent body that the public will trust the results.
3: And that until they do that, they can't renew their 10-year license renewal or even consider um, the um, license amendment to start uh, producing pellets and down.
0: So council voted, was it a unanimous vote? I mean, did most people support it? No,
2: it wasn't actually. No, it was a tight vote uh, last week. It was, I couldn't see because I couldn't see all the council yeah. votes, so I couldn't see exactly, but apparently it was a close vote last week.
1: No, it was, it was unanimous last yeah. week. No, no, yeah.
2: some people oh. counted. Yeah,
1: and yeah Dean and told us it was unanimous. Oh,
2: really? That's yeah. not what I heard. Sorry.
1: And then last
0: night?
2: Um, well, they just had to sort of second the. They just had to, it was very quick and brief. I don't know what happened. I think
0: apparently
3: yeah. everyone... I heard that everyone um, voted for it.
0: Oh, okay. So, so that's good news. But
3: it's really important that we stress that we don't agree with the minister of health's um, a lot of what she says because she does. The medical m- officer of health. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The medical officer. We don't agree with the medical officer of health's um, a lot of what she says about health because, for one thing, she doesn't mention that some people have a predisposition to um, be- sensitization to beryllium. So, people that don't even work directly with beryllium and still get it. There's incidents of people um, that live around factories and, and children of factory own, of workers um, getting uh, chronic beryllium disease. And also she underplays the danger of insoluble uranium, ceramicized uranium dust in the lungs, which is really a problem because it can stay in the lungs for such a long time and while it's there like it can stay in your lungs until you die because mm-hmm. these are really small particles and the whole time it's in there it's a irra- constantly irradiating um, lung tissue and um, type one um, it is a type one carcinogen despite what she says because it is they are alpha particles in the body for a mm-hmm. long time giving off radiation. So mm-hmm. she just doesn't understand the way um, the World Health Organization's IARC works. She do- just doesn't understand that it's not that there's no evidence of harm. It's just that the epidemiological um, studies are have not been – they can't be done because of the way fact-finding was done in the past and confounders and all these sorts of things. So. Uh.
1: Also, Sure, go ahead. I, I would like to point out too um, that there are two bodies that currently list uh, uranium as a, a carcinogen. Um, so this this idea that she's promoting that uranium is uh, relatively safe to use her own words is is um, really false. She's, she's promoting a wrong idea here. There is still controversy around uranium. The, the American Conference of Government Industrial Hygienists, which is a fairly significant body despite its long name uh, in the United States, it regards uranium as car- carcinogen.
3: Confirmed yeah, human confirmed carcinogen. carcinogen.
1: Oh. We, we, we know the mechanism for, for it causing um, cancer as well. It's an alpha emitter, so that's very clear. So one would have a reason to believe, uh, even on merit of the fact that it's an alpha emitter alone, uh, to believe that uranium is a carcinogen. Uh, the other organization in the states that believes it's a carcinogen is the one that uh, uh, develops filter standards and things like that. That's so the NIOSH, uh, SH. Uh, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. They believe that um, is a carcinogen as well. So
2: there was one other. Um, I did read her report, and there, I, I can't comment on it. But I'm just going to bring it up so that maybe Peter or Jane can comment on it uh, succinctly. But um, that children are are. She assumes in her document. That children would react uh, the same to uh, uranium exposure or beryllium exposure as an adult would, and I, I believe that's not correct. And maybe Jane or, or Peter could uh, expand on that. Well, yes. it's—I
3: mean, it's scientifically known that children are more um, susceptible to radiation than adults. Um, even the ICRP, which is the organization that the CNSC depends upon, um, says that children are three times as um, vulnerable to radiation as adults are, but many, many scientists don't believe that goes nearly far enough. They say that there's evidence that it's far higher than that, uh, including the National Academy of Science. (laughs) Ten times as much for children, but it depends where in the body it goes. Uh, There are so many... Uh, unknowns that we d- yeah. we have to take a precautionary approach. Basically, right. this is all about not gambling with the lives of kids. And do you think any of those um, worker studies involve children? No, they didn't. So yeah. basically, do we want to allow our city to become guinea pigs mm. for future well constructed epidemiological studies? Well, we don't. And the CNSC actually has Um, Suggested that they'd start epidemiological studies. Well, no thank you. I don't want that for Peterborough. I don't want to have to wait 20 years for, you know, the latency period for cancers to (laughs) settle in and find out that we've done something terrible for our town. Because once you have that in the environment, you can't get it out. Once you have it in the body, it's there. Like, sorry kids who walked by the factory on a bad day when, as in 2016, the concentrations in air around BWxT in Toronto were 390 times background levels like that's just not fair
0: okay
1: sure. the medical officer of health is supposed to make evidence-based recommendations. There's just not a whole lot of information about cancer in kids. Um, she's got a long list of references, and there's not much information there specifically about the risks and vulnerability of kids uh, when exposed to uranium. So what she's really done here is said, "Well, there's no evidence, so they're safe," and that so it's safe rather, and that's not evidence-based reasoning. She should prove that uranium is safe in kids, and she can't.
3: Well, and also if you take um, into considering this into consideration the studies on the kids living around nuclear power plants and getting leukemia, these studies uh, somebody did a meta analysis because the um, so there was a meta study by uh, Radiobiologist, an independent radiobiologist and another radiobiologist from Germany, Fairley and Korbline, who did a meta- meta-analysis of the rates of leukemia around nuclear power plants. And they found that there was a 10,000-fold discrepancy between the risk assessments put out by this organization, the ICRP that the CNSC depends on, 10,000 times, it was 10,000 times more than they would have expected under the um, risk assessment of the chief regulator. So, And that was published in a peer-reviewed journal.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's take a worst-case scenario to be totally grim for a moment. The CNSC listens to all the interveners, ignores them, and gives BWXT its... Uh, license. What then? Are there any legal options? Apparently
2: there are, at one point way back when, uh, can, uh, the Canadian Environ- Environmental Law Association, who uh, is representing CARN at this upcoming hearing, asked if, uh, if that is the case, uh, would we want to take the next step? So I, I can't remember exactly what the next step is, but there is some legal recourse, but it's much better... That it's denied at the hearing.
0: Right.
3: I mean, I believe it has to be stopped because it makes no logical sense. <laughs> I don't even want to look beyond, like.
0: Okay. Now, what is really driving this corporate decision to make Pellets in Peterborough? And uh, what is the backstory here? I mean, What's going on with PWXT's uh, pelleting operation in Toronto? Now, apparently, uh, Dr. Salvatera went into Toronto, and she came back very satisfied that everything is just hunky-dory. But I've well, heard... She, r- should
2: have, she should have noticed that the precautions, as I heard from other members of a the Toronto Peterborough facility, that the most obvious thing between the two facilities, tours, was that there were much more precautions that needed to be taken in the Toronto facility people's hair had to be back they had to leave all of their, um, their cell phones and computers behind and they had to wear booties did you have to wear cloaks?
1: Uh, we had to wear lab coats Yes. Yeah lab which, coats. which, and which uh, had to be disposed of into uh, uh, a laundry bin as soon as we were finished our tour uh, okay. gloves we wore booties we wore uh, there was a magic line that we couldn't go across with our dirty clothing dirty items we had the Swing over this line to keep contamination from going over. So all those precautions.
0: This is uh, for a tour in uh, Toronto. This is for a
2: tour. And none of that was happening here in Peterborough. No, none
1: of it happens here. And guys in hazmat suits, uh, by the way, too, Doctor Salvatore, if you're listening, uh, who has. Uh, denigrated our our protesters for wearing uh, hazmat suits out in front of uh, BWXC in protest. Uh, She would have seen some of those when she went on her tour. Uh, So all these things, to me, uh, indicate risk. And uh, do I want that risk near my kids or or near a school now.
0: Now, I've heard rumors to the effect that wealthy condo owners are putting pressure on the company to shut down, the BWXT, to shut down in Toronto and move out. Is there any truth to that? Is that urban legend? Have you heard that?
1: There are um, 3,000 new units scheduled to go into Toronto in the Galleria and the Foundry District. So... I would suspect that yes, uh, some of those developers would be able to apply pressure. Probably not individual condominium owners, but yes, the developers would, would be able to apply pressure. Uh, so it wouldn't be too surprising, uh, if BWXT was left as a result of that pressure. But personally, I hold the CNSC responsible for this. This regulation, the difficulty of getting new licenses, this is what's forcing BWXT towards Peterborough. It, it really doesn't make any sense on the safety level, and I think almost everybody recognizes that. But from a profit perspective, cost expect, uh, uh, perspective for BWXT, uh, it makes more sense Oh, Peterborough's a bargain. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. It makes more sense to, to use this license here.
0: Yeah. Now, has CARN reached out to the community around the BWXT plant in, in Toronto? What do we know?
3: Well, we um, we are in contact with Zach Reuter, who has been very involved in the campaign in Toronto, and so we've heard what they're up to there.
0: (laughs) Okay,
1: yeah, and and some contact with other uh, interveners uh, uh, at Toronto as well. Um, uh, We share uh, a concern with them, and and that concern is that that this facility doesn't belong in a residential area. Okay, and not uh, in Toronto and not not in. yeah. Yeah. Where they are very fortunate is that they have political representation that we don't have. Both their MPP and MP are actively representing them. Here, Uh, that is not happening. Just Dean Pappas is representing us.
0: Their their provincial representative.
1: As well as their MP, both of them.
0: Has there been any outreach to uh, Dave Smith, our, our MPP?
1: I've asked multiple times to meet with him.
0: Nothing. Nada. Okay. So what lessons are there to be learned from other, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, nuclear communities like Port Hope and elsewhere?
2: We had two folks come in from Port Hope yesterday and talk to City Council.
0: All right. Dan Ruka, Ruka yeah.
2: And Faye Moore to uh, to talk to um, City Council about what they have experienced uh, with um yeah, being a nuclear town. And uh, their both of their presentations were were great. And they, yeah, they had a lot. Of, I, I don't know. I, I hope the city councillors listened. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, they can obviously tell it. I mean, I, I'm not sure we need to hear from Port Hope. We can already see from the legacy that GE has left us. But, um, but yep. hearing for, from Port Hope is, again, you know, another example of, of the path that, that some people are choosing to walk down for Peterborough.
3: And just the cleanup of the soil for one in Port Hope is like an ongoing cost to the public purse. So, and basically, the responsibility of of the companies ends at the fence line. So, you know, uh, you know, if you count into people that may get cancer from breathing in the increased levels of dust and cleanup in the future, or whatever. Uh, it, I mean, the co- company be- benefits, but the rest of us lose.
1: Uh, I I would like to point out that there's one counselor who who, uh, has, on a couple of occasions now, called this the most regulated industry in Canada, and uh, that very same counselor was uh, a, a member of council when the Shield Source debacle was going on. And he should be for, much for smarter s- than that.
0: For, for our listeners' uh, information, what is the Shield Source debug? Uh,
1: it was a small company located at the airport that produced illuminated signs uh, using, strangely enough, the very dangerous um, tritium, which is a, a version of hydrogen with two extra neutrons, and it. it makes it very radioactive and very dangerous. Um, so this company was spewing uh, tritium out at huge quantities, and uh, the cnsc never actually did remove its license in spite of the fact that for many many years uh it was in breach of its license and uh, ultimately they decided to shut down because uh, uh they couldn't they couldn't meet emission standards is what it boiled down to
0: okay now didn't know that all right so just to close up here if you if we could take a, a strategic step backwards and look at this experience, what ha- what has Karn learned, what have we learned so far about Canada's nuclear industry, about intervening, about political change, and about mobilizing citizens? <laughs> well, yeah, in question. five minutes or less. <laughs> <a good>
1: question. <laughs> I, I'm going to withhold my judgment on the CNSC until after yeah. the Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I'm, probably wise. <laughs> I'm giving
3: them the benefit of the doubt to do the right thing.
1: I'm really surprised that uh, certain segments of our city haven't really been on top of this, like realtors. I don't get that, and I'm sure, Billy, you understand this. Uh, Why aren't realtors all over this? We really need to have uh, something like real estate examined. Uh, I don't know why the Board of Education hasn't intervened on behalf of students. I don't understand why the Medical Officer of Health has adopted the position she has. There's many things that I don't understand and I find extremely frustrating.
3: I asked the CNSC uh, to please tell me about what happens when uranium dioxide from pelleting is inhaled. During, And this is what they answered. During the fabrication of fuel pellets, uranium dioxide dust part, uh, particulates uh, may be produced. About a few micrometers in diameter, these uh, dust particulates may be <coughs> inhaled if they become airborne. Inhalation of uranium dust may result in internal dose to lung tissues from alpha particles, as well as chemical toxicity of this is absorbed into the bloodstream and transported to sensitive tissues, notably the kidneys. So they take stringent worker health uh, and safety programs at BWXT um, very seriously, but the problem is, is the fugitive emissions that are un- inflicted onto, you know... Uh, a populace that has not agreed to this.
0: Now, the school board, KPR, did send a letter home, uh, which I read as, keep calm, everybody, nothing to see here, just move mm-hmm. along, mm-hmm. we'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I don't blame them for that. Uh, you you know, know, I don't know where the CNSC is in all this. I mean, uh, you know, why haven't they come forward and, and said something about this? This is the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, with safety and a capital S on that. And right. where are they? You know, They're, they're AWOL. <laughs> they haven't said anything about this brilliant issue. Uh, no, no public statements whatsoever. Um, uh, uh, that is reprehensible.
2: So what have we learned? Yeah. What have we learned? <laughs> <laughs> we've learned that doing this type of activism takes a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of energy, mm. and, Stress on and families. has repercussions yes. yeah. on every aspect of your life. Mm. Um, that's certainly one thing we've yeah. learned. Uh, I... As I said, I'm an optimist, so I am going to remain optimistic that Peterborough will be a pelleting-free community. That we will not make that mistake. Yeah. That that's and and what have I learned? I, again, it, it will be the stories. We're, our story isn't over yet. Uh, we may we may only be unfortunately at the beginning. So um, maybe you need to ask us later. <laughs> I <I'm laughs>
3: I refuse to think that we're still at the beginning. I, honestly, this has to end because it's ridiculous.
0: Well, what and to close off here, what what will happen on the morning of March 7th? Uh, the hearings will be over. The CNSC will go away and deliberate. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> when will we get a decision? No.
1: 3 to 6 months we have heard. 3 to 6
0: months. 3 to 6 months.
2: This one,
1: this one will take a long time. Why? Um because they'll have a lot to consider. The, uh, the brilliant analysis is really kind of the wild card here. So if they come up with some main excuse to uh, say that it was our lab or something like that, and those aren't really valuable and valid excuses, but they could pretty easily uh, just slough that stuff off and right. hand out the license. So uh, I think it'll take them a while though to get their head around it and t- uh, to make a decision. Uh, even though to me it's, it should be pretty obvious that there, there shouldn't be a renewal. I've learned in, in this, through all of this, that what seems logical to me isn't necessarily logical to to people who are involved in the nuclear industry.
2: And regardless of, of the science or the economics or anything, uh, I feel like just by the number of people that got up and spoke at city council and the amount of people who have put in interventions and who are willing to present their interventions that it's
0: very clear that the people of Peterborough do not want. Well, and on that note, well, thank you so much, Peter, Corinne and Jane, for taking the time to do this. Thank you.